Okay, check this out. We're gonna switch it up a little bit and have some fun. Today, Bishop Frank is gonna spend a whole segment just answering listener questions. Some are theological, some are playful, and His Excellency is gonna answer all of them today. If you wanna participate in this, we wanna make this a regular segment. So send in your questions at questions at veritascatholic.com. So email questions at veritascatholic.com. Before we get to those questions today, Bishop Caggiano is going to talk about some news, uh, the USCCB, Pope Francis, and stuff that's happening around the diocese. So stay tuned. We are on your radio at 1350 AM, 103.9 FM, or we're on your phone with the Veritas mobile app. You can get the app at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or at veritascatholic.com. Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Resources focus on energizing lifelong faith formation and discipleship and fostering a commitment to justice and accompaniment with our most vulnerable. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad and the impact is meaningful. For more information, visit them on the web at foundationsinfaith.org. Okay, here we go. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I'm Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, as always, good to see you. Hey. Today, we're a little innovative, aren't we? Yeah, we got some, some. we're mixing it up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep, which is good, yes. which is good. Um, this is our first attempt for a half a session to just answer questions, right? Viewer questions. So the ask up front is, if this is well-received, then we're going to encourage our listeners to send in questions, theological questions, pastoral questions, things like that. And every once in a while, instead of just doing one a day, we could just put them all together, seven, eight, nine questions, and kind of have some fun. Yes. No? And they and mm-hmm. they don't have to all be serious questions, too, because last week when Core Bishop Michael Thomas was on, the listener question was, what kind of pasta do you like the best? Yes. That's a yes. good one. What an enlightened question. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> uh, I guess before we get started on that, though, Excellency, there's always so much happening uh, in the church, in the diocese, right. in the community. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can uh, run through some more, not serious, but run through some news and events mm-hmm. and things. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, at the top of the list was um, the unexpected surgery that Pope Francis had um, to repair both a hernia and also some of the scar tissue that was created from his first surgery two years ago. You know, it's interesting. There's a joke, of course, uh, among clerics, particularly among bishops, is that when the Vatican says that the Pope, no matter who the Pope is, goes in for regularly scheduled tests, you always wonder to yourself, were they regularly scheduled or not? Or is this kind of like the old, um, it's like Andropov, right? Mm-hmm. When he said he was he had the flu and then suddenly he was seriously ill. So thank God, in this case, the Pope went in for testing on a Tuesday and they scheduled surgery on the Wednesday. Right. Yep. And from what I can gather from the, what I've read, I think it wasn't so much that there was an urgency so it wasn't an emergency situation. What it was was to be able to deal with this before his travels. 
to yes. be able to give the Pope enough time to heal before he went to World Youth Day, and then he's going to Mongolia at the end of August. So I think the Pope was being obviously very prudent and very wise to take care of it if this really was an issue, which obviously it was. So he has plenty of time to be able to go and be fully healed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Right. The interesting thing is the scar tissue. The Pope is a driven man, right? He works all the time. He barely takes a vacation. I don't even think he does take a vacation, to be honest, right? Yeah. I don't. He doesn't go to Castel Gandolfo. He doesn't do it. His vacation right? is he recovering in the hospital. <laughs> yeah, basically, I guess. He doesn't even – he takes a break from all public events in July, but he doesn't leave the in Rome, So, which means he's working, right? He's working all the time. So – one of the things I learned from one of the bishops at the at the USCCB meeting, and of course, this may not be true, but it sounds reasonable. And that is when the Pope had surgery two years ago, um, there's some question whether or not he gave himself enough time to heal hmm. before he went way right back into, into work. So sometimes... Uh, a doctor friend of mine had kind of verified, he says, when, sometimes when that happens, then scar tissue does grow because it's not healing. It doesn't have the time to heal. So I'm very happy this time that he's taken a lot of time to rest and heal. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So Especially at his age, Excellency. I mean, he's Yeah, he's 86. Right? And he had just come off of bronchitis, too, that put him into the hospital for a few days. Right? So at the time of our taping here, he is still yet to be uh, released. But the word this morning was that he'd be released in a few days. Yes. So everything was canceled till the 18th. So please, God, by the start of the new week, he should be able to, to get back on limited duty. So, so that's certainly so to pray for the Pope's recovery, to pray for his long-term recovery, to pray that he'll be able to take these trips, particularly to World Youth Day, because... You know, if the Pope did not come to World Youth Day, there are about over a million young people are going to be really disappointed. Yeah. yeah. So. Mm -hmm. I, I'm just, I'm so uh, amazed by just how active and how busy he is and how much travel he, he does, you know, at mm -hmm. his age with his health. It's, uh, God bless. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, 86. I, I remember... You know, thinking someone who reached 80, right, that was a milestone. But no more. Really, no more. Yeah. I think now the, the new milestone is 90. And even at 90, it's not as, you know, rare as it used to be. Right? I have a friend, a dear friend, whose grandmother's 104. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Living alone. Wow. Living alone at 104. Can you imagine? It's amazing. That, wow. Anyway, so that's the, the that's the key headline is the Pope's recovery yes. from his surgery. And please God, he will need no further surgery, right? And that this issue is solved. Yep. The second is World Youth Day. Uh-huh. Okay, so now <clears throat> World Youth Day, when I was at the USCCB meeting, I learned that I was appointed <clears throat> as one of the catechists for World Youth Day. Wow. Congratulations. So I yes, I think that's number six. Wow. Right? But this year was different. This year, the appointment does not come directly from Rome. This year, the Rome, what Rome has done 
is said to the Episcopal conferences, you present to us the names of the bishops you believe would be able to do this. And then Rome ultimately approves, but it's, it's almost like a confirmation. So that is what happened. And to be honest, I, I, I don't have the full list of who is going to be coming to the, from the United States to catechize, but I'm thrilled that I'm, I'm one of them. I think this may be my last one. Only because at, you know, the next World Youth Day, I'll be a couple of years short of 68 years old. And I am a really firm believer. As much as it's entertaining and you want to engage, you need someone who's a little bit closer in age to the people you are, you're dealing with. So I would, uh, please God, I'll keep going to World Youth Day and be in support of what's going on and be present. But I think younger bishops have to kind of, right, lead this. And maybe I'm being biased. but So what, what does it mean, Excellency, that you're going to be a catechist there? So to be a catechist has always traditionally meant that on the three days before the concluding events, so the concluding events of World Youth Day, there's the Via Crucis usually on Friday that the Pope leads or is present. Saturday is the outdoor vigil in the prayer service where most of the pilgrims stay overnight and then they greet the next day with mass with the Pope. So the focal point of World Youth Day is the vigil, overnight vigil, and mass. So that's Saturday into Sunday. Now, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday have always traditionally been catechetical sessions. Now, the catechetical sessions are held in the various languages of the pilgrims. So in English, you could have pilgrims from the United States and Canada, from Australia and New Zealand, from the United Kingdom and Ireland, and African countries where English is either the official language or one of the principal languages of the country. So it's a real, it's, it's really a nice, it's a nice mix. Yeah. To be honest, what I, I'm not exactly sure is like, are, are groups assigned? Do they choose? I, I've, to, or after all these years, I, I've never quite gotten the answer to that question. It could very well be that groups are assigned to different venues, yeah, right? Yeah. And how many there are in each language, I think depends on the registration of World Youth Day, which is through Rome. So if they see, for example, that there's 300,000 pilgrims that English that are English speaking, then they kind of get an idea of how many catechists. Over the years, the smallest session I ever had was 35. The biggest session I ever had was close to 700. Wow. And then there are other venues in the thousands that usually if the cardinals are catechists, the cardinals do teach, right? So, so I'm presuming, I have to look at all the documentation, but I'm presuming it's going to be a catechesis Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Now, we were told that the catechesis is going to be different this time that the young people are going to be young people who are going to be in leadership, who are going to be more the protagonist in organizing the catechesis. So I'm looking forward to seeing what that really means. Mm. I presume there's some remarks, some talk, and then there may be other pieces to this that I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I went to, uh, I've only been to one world youth day and it was Paris in 1997. And I was, I was oh, a youth. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. I have to tell you, it's, it's quite a remarkable experience. We've talked about it before. It's a remarkable, for me personally, 
as I said, Sydney opened up my entire vista of ministry with young people and young adults. So of, of all the dioceses I visited and spoken to in the United States, which is over 70 of them all these years, and some of the stuff I've done abroad um, started at World Youth Day in Sydney, which was quite a moment of grace. And I'll always be grateful to Bishop DeMarcio who insisted that I go because I didn't actually want to go to travel all the way to Australia. Who knows where Australia is? It's like, it's like going to Mars. <laughs> he said, no, no, no. He said, you are going. You are going. Okay. <laughs> but it kind of changed my life. Yeah. Right? Wow. So in Lisbon, so we have our own pilgrims. I know there's lots coming from the United States. Yes. For the first time in the history of, of our diocese, the vast majority of those going from our diocese actually fit the parameters of World Youth Day. Because youth in World Youth Day is not middle school or high school students. Right. It's young adults is what they mean. Right. So we have about 60 young adults going from our diocese, which is, you know, to give up like a week, you've got to take vacation if you're working, right? So it's, it's, it's sacrificial, right? Yes. On the other hand, uh, there are some donors, one in particular, a family who's extraordinarily generous for World Youth Day, that we've raised over 125, maybe now close to uh, $150,000 for assistance Wow. For the pilgrims for World Youth Day. Wow. So there's not a single person turned away because of money. Yeah. Which I think is exactly how the church should operate. Yeah. Wow. So anyway, so I'm looking forward to that, which means our pilgrimage, now our pilgrimage is bigger than World Youth Day. So remember, we have three groups going, teenagers, young adults, and what I call older people. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to accompany the pilgrimage with the older folk that leaves before World Youth Day starts. And I believe our young adults are doing the same thing. I'm not sure if the teenagers are. Okay. So we're going to go to Spain before we go to Portugal. And then we're going to go to Fatima in addition to going to Lisbon. Amazing. Right. And it is. It, it's, it's, I am so looking forward to that. Right. Um, well, going to Fatima is, I have a great affection for Fatima. Of all the marrying church, I've said it many times, Fatima is the one that holds, you know, it's deepest in my heart for many, many reasons. Yes. So I'm delighted to be going back. It'll be my, it's my fourth trip to Fatima in my life. Wow. Mm -hmm. And then I'm staying one extra day. So I believe all the pilgrims are the uh, returning on the, either Sunday evening or Monday morning. But I'm coming back Tuesday morning because the neocatechumenal way, and Kiko, who's one of the founders, actually one of the, the principal founder, um, he has a youth call. So he gathers the neocatechumenal youth the day after World Youth Day to have an afternoon of prayer and reflection and a vocational call. Who is discerning a call to priesthood or religious life? Wow. And in Madrid, there was a quarter of a million young people in the neo-catechumenal way. This time around, I'm presuming there will be equally large numbers. Wow. So I'm going to stay for that as well. And then I come back Tuesday morning. I mean, well, that's going to be right. awesome. Yeah. So being a catechist for number six is, a, is, a, is I'm very, I'm blessed and I'm honored. 
and I'm looking forward to it. And we'll see, if, you know, how, how things go in this new methodology. Hopefully I don't flop. <laughs> we'll, we'll try our best. Uh, right. They're going to love you. All right. So now other things percolating. We as a diocese are 70 years old this year. We were founded August 6, Transfiguration, 1953. Wow. So this Transfiguration was 70 years old. And we are going to have a diocesan celebration. I believe it's the third Saturday. I'm going to give you the exact date. I just have a little care at my cell phone. So it is um, August. It's going to be October 21st at 11 o'clock in the morning. We are going to have a diocesan celebration. Our birthday, basically, is what it comes down to. Awesome. And everyone, everyone in the diocese is invited to attend. Now, realistically, St. Augustine only seats 800 people. So part of what we have to gauge when I meet with the pastors in September is, should this be a ticketed event or not? Because it may have to be. Simply because I don't want so many people to show up that we, you know, the fire department will close us. Right. <laughs> but why is that important? It's important for a number of reasons. An opportunity to give blessings and everything that has happened in the diocese. We've had tremendous moments of, of celebration and triumph. We've also had some very dark moments, right, as every diocese has. Yes. And we, we want to thank God for the graces to have gotten through that those moments and celebrate all the good that has happened. And as a pivot point for the one. So what do we do year 70 on? And it's all about, okay, fostering encounters with Christ for everyone, creating real accompaniment and moving everyone towards participation in the Eucharist. So in the perfect world, that means all 430,000 Catholics go to mass every Sunday. Could you imagine? That's eight times what we have. <laughs> that would transform society. Well, amen. That's what we're aiming yeah. for. That's what we're aiming for. So that's going to be a central piece. The other that's interesting is we're going to have a new diocese investment. We, I just approved it. We just ordered it for all the priests and deacons of the diocese. So you may be familiar with that, the one that we have now. It's like a, it's like a beige with a brown yoke. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so now the new one will mirror the vestments that were created for the cathedral, which is much more of a, a, a lighter, it's like a very light beige, almost white, with a pattern in the, in the actual material. And then there's a yoke in a darker blue, of course, in honor of Our Lady. Yep. Uh, so that will be given as a gift to every priest and the stoles to every deacon in the diocese, and they will debut them on the 70th anniversary. They'll be given in honor of the 70th anniversary. Oh, awesome. Yep. So now I have to raise the money to pay for them, but that's a whole other story for another day. Right? And then it'll also be a celebration of our multicultural nature. I mean, Fairfield County in 70 years has dramatically changed. Mm -hmm and continues to change. 
So we want this celebration to be to 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 really reflect back who we are, the flavor of our diocese, its different cultures and races, its different ways of celebrating the liturgy. It's really going to be quite a beautiful and unique celebration. So, October twenty first, eleven o'clock. You have more news in the fall, but that I think is a real milestone. That's great. That's great. Didn't you a couple years ago have uh, an event at? Um at the minor league ballpark in Bridgeport to accommodate? That closed the Synod. So that closed the Synod, the Dasson Synod, I believe it was in 2015. Okay. That was, the, that was 9,000 people at Mass. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it was 9,000 people. And the truth of the matter is, Charles Borromeo called 21 Synods when he was Archbishop. I believe we may be poised for another synod in three or four years, right? Depending on how the work of the one goes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to make some more structural change okay. in the diocese. But that leads me to two other things that I wanted to make everyone aware of. Again, the one, what is the one? The one is the one invitation slash priority slash focus of the diocese to create this culture, I can't say it enough times, where truth, beauty, and goodness through those venues, people are given so many different ways to encounter Christ, develop their discipleship. Remember, I wrote that pastoral letter uh, to go into the upper room. Well, it's now time to really get serious about that. And then revitalize parish life so there are small communities that can accompany everyone who's on this journey. All right, so having said all that, two things, number one, I'm in the midst now of producing an eight-week video series that explain that answers the question, what is this one? It's based on the story of Emmaus. Each video is about three minutes long. So it's not that it's an involved amount of time. We're in the midst of producing it now. It'll either debut in the coming weeks or it will debut in the fall. My instinct is to wait till the fall to do it. But we'll see. We may do it in the in the um, in these months now, where people have some time really to kind of leisurely watch this, and it may be followed with eight weeks of testimony, stories of faith based on the eight elements, like how did this, whatever the, this may be, how did this change my life personally, whoever I may be. Right? So, because I think we have to keep renewing the vision, keep bringing the vision forward, and and making bite sized so people can understand this. That's one. The second is, I mentioned before, all the regional meetings are set. So the nine deaneries are going to have nine meetings with me and all the local leadership, not only to talk about vision, but to get into the weeds, get into the, get our hands dirty. How are you going to do this in Greenwich or Stanford or Bridgeport or Danbury or Westport or, or Fairfield, wherever it is? And I'm looking for structural as well as pastoral initiatives. What are we going to do differently that we haven't been doing before? Now, I'm very much looking forward because that is where the change can start to happen. Yes. And just for everybody's listening, global problems demand global solutions. So when you talk about disaffiliation or young people not being involved, there's not a single parish alone that can answer that question. 
So the, so the news here is all the meetings are set. I am hoping the pastors have already uh, uh, announced them. If not, we will announce them to everyone directly so they could hold it on their calendars. And we will, please God, see where the Holy Spirit goes from there. Last one. Last. Is time for one more? Oh, yes, sure. Okay. The USCCB meeting. Oh, before you get to that, though, Excellency, I do have a question about the one. Shoot. Uh, so what can or what would you like us to do right now to prepare? Or is there anything? Okay. So if you are in parish leadership, there is a weekly bulletin that's going out. That is simply informational now. What are the initiatives already out there that may intrigue one, two, 10, five, 20 people who get them? Whether it is Catholic.chat, which has really been received with great enthusiasm, or offerings from the Guild, or the Face of Prayer, which are the first couple that went out. Mm -hmm. Just a word about Catholic.chat. If a person who's in parish leadership is listening to this podcast and has registered for LEAD, L-E-A-D, which is our online formation, they should have gotten the link to go to catholic.chat. And as I've mentioned before, catholic.chat is, is a platform that uses artificial intelligence to be able to mine the catechism for basic questions of faith. I would urge everybody to go on and play around with it. And the people that have, some have contacted me amazed. And it's worked its way into classrooms now for religious education. Wow. In seventh and eighth grade. And one catechist had the entire session and asked the students, what are the questions you want about faith? Cool. Ask, give me a question. Cool. And they tried to stump Catholic.chat, which they couldn't do. <laughs> but going over the answers... She said, you could see some of the students' lights, just the, the lights in their heads just lit up because they had never really heard it yeah. before. Wow. And it's intriguing, right? Yeah. So it's almost Socratic. Remember in the Greeks, the Greek way of learning was to ask questions and then expound from there, not here's the information, digest it, tell me what your questions are. It's, it's quite interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so the USCCB. USCCB. Okay, so... I went down and I had very interesting pre-meetings. First, I'm on the Episcopal Advisory Board for the Leadership Roundtable, which are extraordinarily competent, national, lay women and men who are professionals in all their fields, who are at the service of the bishops and their diocese for leadership training. And I walked away from that meeting. And the meeting was about Catholic education and Catholic schools. Hmm. And I walked away with a whole ton of ideas. And the Leadership Roundtable is at the disposal of bishops to provide resources. So I think part of the takeaway for me is it's time that the Leadership Roundtable come into our diocese hmm. to do leadership. Because you have two types of people in leadership. Right? Actually, three. The first is those who are extraordinarily successful and professional in their uh, secular careers, but don't necessarily have a lot of theological formation because to run a parish is different than running a business. Then you have those who have the theological and pastoral formation who don't necessarily have a lot of the professional development. So I'm in category two. 
And then you have those that do both. Now, I'm kind of also in this category because after 10 years, I've learned it's on-the-job training. Yes. Right? But the goal would be, and everybody in leadership is to being behind door number three. Yes. So, so that was one. The other was Archbishop Fisichella, who is the pro-prefect for the Dicastery of Evangelization, spent an entire day with all the bishops of the Committee on Evangelization and Catechesis, the Subcommittee on the Catechism, for which I'm a chair, uh, of doctrine, education, and a whole bunch of others. And the lay leaders of catechetical organizations, NCEA, NCCL, so many others. We spent an entire day with him exploring the directing on catechesis, the work of the Institute, which I've spoken about, which is where the one came from, to talk about this whole idea of instituted catechists uh, and to talk about how the new directory can be lived in the United States. It was a fascinating conversation, fascinating. And just to dispel some notions, we have heard that the Holy Father created an instituted ministry of lector, an instituted ministry of uh, acolyte, and an instituted ministry of catechist. Well, the first two are liturgical. The third is not. And the key insight I walked away from, which I'm still digesting in my mind, is that to be an instituted catechist means that there is a vocation received. And that vocation is discerned by the bishop and the person feels a lifelong calling to be an evangelist and to be someone who will help in the transmission of the faith. And if that person with, do, with proper formation, which for us would be a multi-year process of formation, if he or she is instituted, he or she is at the disposal of the bishop, not the pastor, the bishop, for particular tasks of where the transmission of faith has either been broken or is not effective. And you can see where that could go because in family life, if parents are not passing the faith on to their children for whatever reason, the transmission of faith is broken. So when we talk about the one and we talk about engaging parents, well, the instituted catechist, as they come forward, which will not be many, they would be almost like the Marines to apply themselves across the whole diocese to address, let's say, issues within family life or support of family or the formation of parents who could then form their children. It's just a fascinating concept. It's a cool idea. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's not to say that, you know, the catechists who are now catechists are not doing important work. Of course they are. But you're talking a subsection, a much smaller subsection of people who are like going to do this as a life vocation, yeah. not as a volunteer. Yeah. Fascinating. Wow. Yeah. Very and cool. then the USCCB meetings when we did and all that stuff is public, all the stuff we talk about. And all the rest. So. Yeah. Okay. So let's take a break and we've got uh, our, our cool new segment uh, coming up on the other side of the break. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. We'll be right back. 
If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Okay, here we go. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. All right, Excellency, so this is cool. Um, as, and as you suggested uh, previously, if we had this as a monthly segment, it'd be really mm-hmm. cool. Uh, so it's just going to be kind of rapid fire. I'm going to shoot questions that we received to you mm-hmm. and uh, we'll see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So let's start here. Um, if you haven't already on a past show mentioned it, can you give a picture of a typical day in your life or a Bishop's life? Oh, I think every Bishop's life is going to be different, but I could give you a picture of mine. And um, first and foremost, one of the great things I like very much about the lifestyle of a bishop is that um, there's a basic structure to it, but every day is different. Now, there are different challenges every day, of course, but there are also different joys every day. So I got to answer it two ways. What's the basic architecture of the day? All right. So the day starts 4.30 in the morning, just about every day. <clears throat> Because that's my peace time, 4.30 to 6.30. For example, this morning, I had to text from a priest at 6 a.m., right? So that window's even closing now because now they know I'm up, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I should have kept that a secret. But anyway, <laughs> no one has texted me at 4.30 in the morning yet, All right? But so 4.30, what do I do? Very first thing I do every morning is make my coffee, right? Because something's got to rev the engine. <laughs> and then once there's enough caffeine in me, then it's always my prayers. You have to start. Then once my prayer is over, then if there's time for the holy hour while I'm in Stanford, I may combine the two. Otherwise, depending if I'm celebrating mass outside, then I would also celebrate mass. And because the seminarians have their own routine in Stanford, I have a little chapel in my apartment where I would celebrate mass if I'm not in public for mass. Right. Then, of course, there's the normal stuff. You wash up, all the rest, have breakfast, blah, blah, blah. Out the door you go. And then it's an adventure. Who knows? 
It, it, it could be <laughs> it could be anything. It could be a school mass. It could be meetings here at Bridgeport. It could be a parish visitation. It could be uh, meetings with priests. It could be um, meetings in Stanford with people who live down county. It could be some of these regional meetings now that are going on. And then when it comes to liturgical events, if I have school masses, usually they're at nine o'clock. Confirmations are at night. Uh, pastor installations, parish celebrations, ethnic community celebrations. My typical weekend has between nine and 11 events in wow. different parishes around the diocese. Right? And I have to tell you, I notice a difference. Now that I'm here 10 years, 10 years ago, I did it. didn't bother me. Now, at the end of the night, I feel it. I really do. I do. Yeah. And so then all the day is done. If it is humanly possible, the last thing I do is eat dinner. When I was when first came, I would eat dinner in most of the parishes. And I've stopped doing that, not because I'm antisocial, but because it's just too much food. It's just very hard to manage. Got it. And even now I'm struggling with my weight, right? Because I'm getting older. Plus, I still have not got to the point where I'm eating just what I need. I'm eating because also because it tastes good, which is not it's a good delicious. thing. It's not a good thing. <laughs> but the last thing. So this is, I think, very unhealthy. But there's many a night where I have dinner at 10 o'clock. Oh, wow. But then I go right to bed because I get up at 4.30. <laughs> so you're not going to roam around to digest. So that's probably not the smartest thing. Oh, but, excellent. But I do a lot of things that are not smart. So, <laughs> so, but 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 usually, hopefully, dinner is like eight ish, thirty ish. Okay. So that's a typical day, and I think for most bishops, well, I'll give a perfect example. I was on the phone. I was on the phone with a meeting with a bishop who has a mid midwestern diocese, who went to pick up a neighboring bishop, drove him to a funeral drove him back, drove to confirmation, and came back. And within that day, drove more than 150 miles. Oh, wow. In one day. <laughs> See, the great advantage I have is here is that our diocese is geographically small. Yes. But there are some dioceses that have, you know, 100,000 square miles. Wow. That bishop needs his own helicopter. Yeah. Well, what they do is that what, what a lot of bishops do is they plan like week a week trip and pack a bag and they stay along the way in mm -hmm. rectories. Well, you can't keep going back and forth. It's impossible. Yeah. No, thank God I don't have that. Yeah. All right. Here's here's the next question. Did other members in your family, mm -hmm. present or past, mm -hmm. serve as priests, nuns, bishops, or dare I say? Pope. Pope, absolutely not. <laughs> okay, interesting question. All right. So the answer is almost. My father's oldest brother, whose name was Antonio, went to the seminary. And he died in the seminary for what they believe was a, a cerebral hemorrhage or stroke. He died at somewhere between 21 and 22 years old, which traumatized the entire family. Yeah. 
That is why when my sister was born, my sister was named after him. That's why she is Antonia, because she was named after him. And that is why I think part of the reason my father was opposed to my going into the seminary, because of that, it was really, it was, it was, it was a, a, a traumatic episode in the life of, of the Kajano side of the family. Yeah. So he would have been the first priest. But to my knowledge, I am the first that anyone has alluded to, but he would have been the first. Yep. And as for sisters okay. and um, I'm not aware of any, but I'm sure, again, because our family, you could trace my family back 400 years in the village. I've always wondered to myself, would that be a, a, a fun exercise to do? But they can, they, the family has been in the village for at least that long. And the baptismal registers exist. So you could do a family tree, right? Hmm. But in the end, I think I'm the, I'm the first to be wow. priest and bishop. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think I actually have a, a great aunt who's a religious sister. I think it's my dad's aunt. Is that right? So. Yeah. But uh -huh. who knows? Maybe I'll have a child who's, who becomes a priest or a sister. Yes. They're, they're, yes, of course. I hope they're listening. Yes. That's exactly <laughs> the point for everybody who's listening. Son, grandson for priest. If you have, if not priest, a brother or the, the, the young lady's sister. It's a beautiful life. Yes. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Right. Okay. Here's question number three. How is one chosen to be bishop? What are the qualities? Is it something you're given out of the blue or is it something you mention to a superior or seek out? Okay, this joke to the joke is if anybody wants to be a bishop, he should be because it's the best way to punish him. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 the, the truth is, uh, one of the great banes, one of the things that has to be avoided is ambition because it's a poison to the ministry. You know, we, the, Francis keeps talking about careerism. Careerism is a spiritual poison. Mm -hmm. And you can fall into it easily. Okay, yes. having said that, the process is a secretive one. So names are proposed on a provincial list. Those names are kept by the Metropolitan Archbishop. If a vacancy opens or a request for an auxiliary bishop or a diocesan bishop is approved, then that list comes into play and they do scrutinies that are under the pontifical seal. So what puts your name on the list? All bishops, I've proposed names, all bishops do. You look for priests who are first and foremost, who, who are take their spiritual prayer life and sacramental life seriously. You want men who are striving for holiness. You want men who are effective communicators, most especially preachers of the gospel. You also want men who are administratively at least basically competent. They don't have to be experts because we have lay people who are experts with whom we could collaborate. 
But but you know, you want someone who can add and subtract and kind of like you know, basic right, is somewhat organized and, and I don't mean to be facetious, but I mean who's yeah, organized, no. who could run a meeting, who who could deal with people who has basic human qualities, right? But beyond that, beyond that, the nuncio plays a huge role in organizing those names, organizing those curriculum vitae, and then they go to the congregation. They have a huge role to play. And then, of course, the Holy Father picks whoever he wants. But I think the four pillars, so you want intellectually, morally, spiritually, right? Um, you And pastorally, you want a person who, who could be a leader of the mm-hmm. church in very difficult times. Now, if someone asks me, which they don't, but if they asked me, I would say you also want a personality that is a unifier. You don't want a divisive person because we're already dividing. So that's how it happens. So those are the qualities and that's kind of like the process. Mm -hmm. So interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay, Um, here, next question. We have several popes named John or Paul, but I don't recall any popes being named Peter other than the original, of course. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Mm-hmm. Is it similar to the Yankees, where the numbers three, four, five, and seven are retired out of respect for greatness, and no one can quote fill those shoes? Yeah, I mean, the second part of the question kind of intuits the answer to the first, in so much as it has never happened because um, no one can stand shoulder to shoulder with the first. So there is a deference to his uniqueness. Although we call the person the successor of Peter, no one has ever done it. There, there was a tradition associated with the possibility of, of taking the name Peter, that somehow that would be a sign of the apocalypse, that that would be a sign that the end. So you've come full circle, the first Peter to the second Peter. Right. Now, I have no idea if that's true or not, But I could not imagine a successor of Peter taking the name of Peter out of deference to the first. Remember, he would be Peter the 266th. Imagine (laughs) signing that name (laughs) to do that. But it is kind of, we've talked about uh, Paul outside the walls in Rome, right? When they ran out of the circles, they also thought the world was going to end and then they added more circles. They just added, exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I love this next question. Um, uh, it says, if you were elected Pope, what name would you choose and why? Uh-huh. Well, let me ask you, if you were the Pope, what name would you choose? Oh, gosh. You didn't think I was going to ask you. <laughs> this is, I mean, there's so many great Popes to choose mm-hmm. names from right leo the great gregory i love pius the fifth um and john paul the great who i just mm-hmm. love um i think i think i would choose one based on the the predominant problems of our time right so i might choose like to follow pius the 10th who battled mo- modernism right or mm-hmm. or even like i don't think he was a pope uh, no, he wasn't a pope, but um, like Irenaeus battled Gnosticism. Yep. Maybe something like that. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I, I, it's funny. We, it, it, people joke about this. 
So I'm, I'm going to reveal who I, what name I would take with the okay. caveat that in the one to 100 trillionth possibility <laughs> that was the case ever happened, I, I, I reserve the right to revise. Okay. <laughs> All right. And that is given the, 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 um, the challenges of the age, I would choose the name Michael. Yeah. Because of the attacks on the church and the intercession of the archangel to be able to protect the church against attacks from within without from within and from without yes and to, and to 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 kind of rally the church in a spiritual way to to kind of muster the strength and the valor and the courage to face the challenges authentically and not be not be ashamed of who we are in the world and engage the world but also put the world in its place when it has to be put in its place right? yeah so and there has been no michael before interesting right yes that's that's a great i love that answer excellency yeah if if somebody happens to get elected pope before you and they choose michael i'm i'm gonna call copycat on that <laughs> yeah you're right but but listen never mind peter if i'm elected pope that's the sign of the apocalypse i think, I think everybody should run to the confessional as quickly as possible that's what i would say oh that's all right so uh the next question comes from the headlines actually it says uh what do you know of the news concerning sister wilhelmina Lancaster. Well, th I, I don't know much in detail. What I do know is that she is, I believe, a Benedictine sister, right? Um, who was buried in the in the in in the traditional form, which means I don't believe there was any embalming, nor do I believe that there was any outer covering for the casket. And she is totally incorrupt. Correct. I mean, totally. Yeah, it, it appears that way. Yes, yeah, that yeah. she's just sleeping. And yep. many, many, many people are now making a pilgrimage, right, to her burial site to ask yeah. for her intercession because that is one of the traditional signs of sanctity. Yeah. Right? But I'm not sure. Do you, do you know more than that? I just, I know that uh, uh, it was her grandmother or great-grandmother was a slave. Yep. And I believe that when she was baptized as a Catholic, her, quote, owner— uh, released her said she said I can't have a fellow Catholic sister, you know, as a slave, and she lived a really pretty remarkable life right. herself growing right. up. So, right. and, and because of her suffering under slavery, it's it's it comes at a very opportune time now, right? Because I think the world is coming to a much deeper recognition of the sins we have tolerated in society for far too long. And the vestiges of slavery, because one could be legally free and still subject to enslavement and discrimination. Yeah. That I think her discovery of her incorrupt body is a prophetic sign too for the modern world. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's awesome. Mm -hmm. Okay, we have time for one more question, Excellency. So let's go with this. What is the teaching of the church? of what will happen to people in life who are religious without being Catholics or holy or non-religious, but are just good people and display the ethics and values of Christianity. 
I think the, the question, the second part of the question answers the question or, or sets the stage for the answer, and that is, St. Paul says clearly, Scripture says clearly, there is no salvation apart from the name of Jesus. And the missionary impulse of the church is to authentically and effectively preach the gospel to the world so that everyone could be introduced to and have an encounter with the living person of Jesus in and through his mystical body so that they can make an ascent of faith freely. Now, the presumption behind that is that you have heard the preaching of the gospel, you have heard it in an effective way. But the truth is, there are parts of the world that have not yet heard the Christian message. And more importantly, they have heard the Christian message preached in an ineffective, inauthentic, or compromised way. Therefore, they have not had the opportunity to have this transformative encounter with Christ. So what happens to those people? And the simple answer to that question is, you cannot be held guilty for something for which, right? If I could use the word guilty, or be the, be the better response, you cannot be held responsible for something for which you had no possibility of being able to respond to. So everyone is saved because of Christ, but not necessarily everyone through no fault of their own have never heard the Lord of the Lord they would be saved in virtue of Christ, but by the right, use of right reason. Right? And that's why reason and faith go hand in hand. So the taking of life is unreasonable. The attack on life is unreasonable. So those individuals who have not heard the preaching of the gospel in an effective way would follow their right reason and follow the truth as best as is illuminated in their religious tradition. And in the mercy and compassion of God, obviously will be saved following that right reason, but in the moment of their death, coming before the Lord, in that moment, I think every human being who ever existed will see the face of the Savior, who's Jesus Christ. There's no other way into heaven. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. Uh, would you Would you recommend Dominus Jesus for yeah. people who wanted yes. to? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And it's and it's not difficult reading. Some some encyclicals are quite difficult, and some ecclesial documents are difficult. That is not difficult reading. Yes, I would. That's an excellent suggestion. Yeah. But in fact. If a person doesn't have time to read it, that is one of the basic conclusions you're going to find. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very well said, Excellency. Okay. So uh, let's take one more break and be back with another listener question. Because <laughs> 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 that's the way we end the show. All right. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. We'll be right back. Hey. It's Matt from Restless on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Each week on Restless, we young adults restlessly seek the face of Christ in today's crazy and mixed up world. Join us each Friday at noon on 1350 AM, 103.9 FM, the Veritas app, or wherever you get your shows. Hope to see you there. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. All right, Excellency. Um, 
this is our this is the way we we end the show. So we're gonna do another listener question. And so here's here's the one that uh, I've selected for this. It says, "What is the difference between being Catholic and being Christian?" Ah, interesting. Well, every Catholic is a Christian, but not every Christian is a Catholic. Right. So we mean by Christian is someone who professes faith in Jesus Christ as the Redeemer and Savior. In the beginning, there were only Christians in the universal church. But after 1066, when the Orthodox split and then in the Protestant Reformation and in the changes that have happened since, we have Christians who are not Catholic. What's interesting in is even among Christians, there is a bias. It's funny. I remember overhearing a conversation when I was in Atlanta between obviously two non-Catholics and they were calling into question whether Catholics were Christians. Yeah. <laughs> How ironic. It is ironic. <laughs> it is. Now, in the end, and I don't think this is you know prideful to say, but the roots of all Christianity are in the Catholic Church, obviously in the first thousand years of the church's life. I mean, they were splits even before the thousand years, like the Nestorians, the Arians, and the and the Monophysites. And there are churches that are still Monophysitical, right? Believe oh, wow. only one. Oh yeah, they, still, they exist for 1600 years. So they have been splits, you know, since the beginning. But, but the, I guess the genus and species, I guess is, so we're all Christians, mm -hmm. but the Catholics, are the foundational group in my estimation because we go back to the apostles and then yes. it's almost like praying no it's not it is praying for everyone one day to be reunited in the one catholic slash christian church right yes yep <laughs> great okay so if you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in on social media, or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Again, we would love to get do this on a more regular basis. So please continue to send your questions in. Yeah, we'll call it Stump Steve. Send your questions. <laughs> <laughs> That's an easy thing to do. So send them in. <laughs> um, and Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. And we'd like to thank our sponsor, Foundations in Faith. A grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport. And you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. So, Excellency, before we go, mm -hmm. would you please give us your blessing? I would be happy to. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we ask that you send your Holy Spirit upon us and our listeners, their families, and all those whom they love and serve. Keep us courageous, authentic, faithful, and zealous in our witness and words, proclaiming the Lordship of Jesus in our modern world. Father, we ask that you bless us in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Enjoy the week, my friend. Thanks, Excellency. You too. 